Welcome to the Petro Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Trisha Curtis, CEO of Petro Nerds. This show combines upstream and midstream expertise in a Rocky Mountain showdown. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Petronas podcast. Uh, my name is Trisha Curtis. I am the CEO of Petronas and the host of the Petronas podcast. And today is Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. So it's a happy fourth to everyone out there. Um, it was a long and, and fun weekend, um, but we opened up the markets today with uh, the markets down. But this is episode 51 of the Petronas podcast, and I am joined uh, with an awesome and very exclusive guest with a company called U.S. Strategic Minerals. And this is the, this, you're the CEO or the, the COO of, of U.S. Strategic Minerals, Thomas Smith, correct? That's correct. Yeah, pretty much dual role. Awesome. Um, I pretty much lead the team, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's great to have you. Yeah, it's wonderful to be on with you. Um, ran into you last week at the uh, the Hearts, Doug. Uh, it was great to meet you in person and looking forward to today. Absolutely. Yeah. So we will recap that a little bit. I'd love to talk a little bit about the Doug presentation and, and that I gave and just the, the conference bit because I think today, and um, so you have strategic minerals. We're going to get into it in just a second and let um, and let Thomas explain, you know, in 30 seconds what it is and, and what they're trying to do. Um, but we've, the market's, uh, you know, down, Dow is down. Um, the recession fears are pretty rampant. If you, if you pull up the, um, the front page of, of Bloomberg and you just look at what's what's going on in Bloomberg, it's, it's recession, same thing for CNBC, it's recession, oil prices are down, natural gas prices are up. And we have these very unique dynamics playing out in the market of, of the dollar is obviously on all, uh, tearing on highs right now, which is pressuring oil prices down, and we're seeing the dollar at near parity to the euro. So lots going on with the market. But setting that aside for just a moment, um, again, this is episode 51, Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. So Thomas, can you tell us a little bit what, you know, in a nutshell, in 30 seconds, what is the, what what is U.S. Strategic Minerals? Well, we're a, a kind of a hybrid between uh, oil and gas and mining. And right now we're looking to mine brines um, using the drill bit. So we've used our our team's expertise in oil and gas and exploration um, over the last, you know, we have over 40 years each and um, trying to think outside of the barrel um, and use what we've learned over the, our careers and apply them to the current um, supply chain issue with critical minerals specifically uh, to our prospect in Utah would be lithium. So actually mine lithium um, out of a, a brine source that normally uh, in an oil and gas world would be a dry hole. So someone that doesn't they put a, a bit in the dirt and they go after oil and gas and they hit water, they're typically going to go ahead and plug that well out and never complete it. But by putting a mining claim over that surface location, you can actually um, extract minerals, you have a right to develop those minerals. Okay. So that's the business in a nutshell, which there's a lot of questions. So I have a lot, lot of, a lot of different things and I'm, I'm, I'm going off a couple of presentations that you sent me. So some sort of decks of your business and what you're doing. And we've, we've talked beforehand. So the reason I think this is relevant and why it's, it's relevant, I think to podcast listeners is that, you know, I talk about, um, China quite a bit on the podcast. I talk about, you know, geopolitics and everything. And so, you know, rare earth minerals, which are not necessarily, 
you know, necessarily that rare, but it's the, um, what we call rare earth minerals, but mineral, critical minerals um, and metals in general, like as you put aluminum, I think it's that you, you list several of them, you know, from the geologic survey or, or from um, US Geologic Survey, USGS. Um, but then you, you highlight several of these that you could actually get through brine water, which is um, aluminum, lithium, magnesium, um, rubidium, and yttrium, and zinc. And so I want to come back to those of sort of, you know, what your business wants to do and, and how, how you can get those minerals and, and some of the pricing. But I actually forgot to cap this podcast and say this was uh, WTI's 98 bucks. We actually touched $97 uh, just a little bit ago. Brent is 101.69. Nat gas is 546. We are seeing a Dutch TTF on an absolute tear on the upward side at 45 bucks. And the 30-year um, mortgage rate is is un- under 6%. We're seeing 10-year treasury yields have come down considerably. And we are seeing these two-year and five-year treasury yields go a little crazy, which is why people are super worried about recession, um, which is actually quite relevant to what we're talking about here, because I would say, you know, with this administration, with a lot of the policies that have been going, uh, you know, taking place, um, Paris Climate Accords, you know, lots of lots of things listed uh, within um, the Climate Change Executive Order 14008, uh, the need for or the, the desires to actually green up the grid or reduce the emissions significantly on on the U.S. grid to make it, uh, you know, net zero by 2035 would require an excessive amount of of wind turbines and solar panels, um, and would also have, and uh, there's a hope, obviously, that there's a lot of infrastructure development for battery technology. And where you're, I think you play, I mean, obviously lithium and, and several of these other things are critical in aluminum, but are, are sort of critical in the sphere of, you can't build this, we can't build this stuff without this. And almost all of it, uh, the entire, almost 80% of the battery market globally is, is cornered by China, as is um, as is the solar market and a significant amount of wind turbines as well, partly because so much of these rare earth minerals or these critical minerals are are not only owned, but they're also in, in extracted, but also processed by China. Um, so you're offering a solution as a company that, and I we can talk about where you're at the stages of the, the development of this, that you can actually... You can actually go after brine water and and extract this stuff, such as lithium, from the brine water. But this is not from this is not from produced brine water from a wellhead. This is you're actually going into a wellbore and you're you're actually going into the ground and you're extracting this brine water and doing it that way. So can you break that up a little bit and explain? You know, is it it's not the produced water? It's actually going after the well. And where are you sort of doing this? And what kind of technology are you using? Well, so we actually are um, going after existing sources of, of, of geothermal brine. So let's just say, for example, um, in North Dakota, um, a lot of the produced waters up there um, in the Bach and Three Forks in, in Mission Canyon, um, even from back in the old water flood days, they're moving a lot of water. The average water cut's going to be north of, of 90%. And that's, that's pretty common with almost all the major producing basins, including the Permian. So you're moving, let's just say you're moving nine times as much water to get that 10% of the oil. And, and, and historically, that 10% of the oil and any associated gas pretty much had to drive the economics. In other words, get the rate of return and the metrics that are required to put the capital down to drill the well. So we offer a, a, a bridge and basically say our technology can, can find value by mining the brine that you're already collecting and removing from the oil and before you re-inject it down into the ground or dispose of it or in your water flood or your EOR flood, your CO2 flood, let us take a little, little let us plug in 
and, and inject some CO2 with our proprietary processes and actually can sequester CO2 by a process called ex situ mineral carbonation. And so you're essentially making limestone and other uh, dolomite type minerals that nature does. We're just accelerating that. We're doing that on steroids. We're basically saying we're going to take pure CO2 instead of the 0.045% that's in nature, you know, in the atmosphere right. that we're all concerned about. And we're going to do this on steroids. We're going to actually precipitate this within an hour, make aggregate, and that qualifies for a Section 45Q uh, carbon sequestration project. Okay, but so you're, you're, you're sequestering carbon from water that's been produced, um, but how are you mining? Right. You, you have multiple, then you're, you're also mining the minerals from that water, but you're also mining it when you're, you're actually going and drilling for the water. So first let, let's, and if I'm getting those yeah. two buckets right, so why don't you explain how, how are you, how do you um, mine the, those minerals and how much you're actually getting from produced water and how does that work is, you know, the regulatory environment around water is quite tricky. I mean, it's one of those reasons that people always want to talk about you know, why don't we use more produced water? I mean, several years ago, we weren't actually using a ton of produced water in fracking because it just wasn't known. It wasn't well known. And then when oil prices dropped in 2014, lo and behold, you realize that everyone thought they needed fresh water, but produced water, they, they could make produced water work. But part of it was the regulatory side hadn't caught up. So you couldn't just pick up this water and move it around really easily. I mean, yes, you could you could clean it up, but we, we have so much produced water, not just in North Dakota, but particularly obviously in, in the Permian where the cut is the cut of water is massive. So you have to do something with it. So even if we fracked every single well with produced water, we still have a crap ton of water left over. So I think um, understanding of how one, uh, if you have any thoughts and stuff on this, on the regulatory side of how you move this stuff around, how you can actually treat it and what then you can do with it. And two, where does your first part of your business of your, your mining, you know, these minerals out of that produced water, how does that work? Okay, so you're, you're exactly correct. In, in each state in, in the feds versus the state is different. The Permian is a little bit different animal. Um, we've been looking mainly uh, at Utah, uh, a lot of federal lands, also state lands in state and federal in Utah is kind of our primary prospect is in the Northern Paradox Basin. So Paradox Basin is really historically been a mineral rich basin, not just for oil and gas, but merely for things like potash, um, lithium, there's, there's several companies operating in the area and actually trying to get lithium out of brines as we are. But realistically, lithium, and you, you, you know this as well as I do, is lithium doesn't ever get concentrated. It's always going to be in a very low concentration, whether it's in the dirt in Nevada that, that Elon Musk wants to, to mine um, and in the brines as well. I mean, 200 parts per million to 250 parts per million it's really all you're going to ever see is lithium as a chloride in the brine, whereas calcium and magnesium can be as high as 135,000 parts per million. And when I say calcium and magnesium, those are the two elements that I that that tend to like CO2, and 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 those are the those are the the backbone of of creating carbon sequestrated products, and those are the alkaline earth elements calcium carbonate and magnesium carbonate, because of the, the volume and, and the scale, you can actually move the needle with carbon sequestration by targeting minerals in these brines like calcium and magnesium that are in high concentration. So we have kind of a, a model that says, when we bring something out of the ground, 
we're going to look at all these different revenue streams that are associated with this, this brine that comes with the oil and gas. And because oil and gas operates under RICRA, which is, is basically says that it's a hazardous waste, can, what, that, that's just, why no, you could on. never what, what use, is, you can't uh, just move brine around. Yeah. So why don't you just, for, for, for listeners who may not know, what, what is RICRA? Um, I don't know that, that that's obviously not RICRA. And then well, um, maybe, maybe uh, actually a decent, I know a lot of folks know what brine water is, but actually how you would define it, I think two of those would be awesome to hear. Right. So what we call, uh, RICRA is a regulatory it's been around since OPA 90. I mean, it's an EPA mandated DEQ type um, thing that says that because it's not potable water, right? Right. And it says that you just can't dump this water on the ground. Yep. You have to have a permit. So it's it's a law. Um, we call we call our brine and one of our trademarks is called liquid ore. So if you can't drink it, and this is in in one of our early patents in. It's a trademark. Liquidor says that this is a brine. It's a subsurface brine that we can target and we can explore for, and we can actually react with CO2 and other processes to pull minerals out. And so that's that's how we do it. And, and, and these are all chemical processes. So they're pH swing processes that require, um, let's just say, ammonium hydroxide in one case. Uh, that raises the pH of the brine enough to where the carbon or the calcium molecule gets excited and it wants to join up with the OH negative molecule that is, is, is evolved from the ammonium hydroxide and the CO2 that's bubbling up in the reactor, kind of like making beer, you're bubbling CO2 up and all of a sudden you get this reaction and the, the precipitate drops to the bottom and that is your, your um, calcium carbonate or your magnesium carbonate. Those are basically limestone materials. They're, they're a specialty mineral. There's a huge market out there, and you just Google calcium carbonate, and people would be amazed. Um, calcium carbonate is used in almost everything, um, anything that's white, uh, paper stiffener, paint base, uh, caulking that's white. I mean, it's just amazing what the, the market is. And so what we've come up with is a, technically a green way to manufacture calcium carbonate with waste products. Uh, someone else wastes, is, is, is our, we use that. And we, we take CO2, which is, is a problem now, and we combine the two to make a valuable product. And, um, and that's great. I, I appreciate that clarification because I, I think that, that helps for listeners. But so, I mean, so it's, it's twofold. It's saying I can, I can use this waste product. I can, because um, these metals and minerals are, are, are attaching or or wanting to be with CO2, I can, I can sequester the CO2 and I can also extract this. Now, what are the volumes of those? You know, obviously you, you have patents on exactly how you're extracting that with, with chemicals. And is there, what, how long does it take one? Um, and sort of what are the volumes and, and can something like this, can we, we, I, cause I want to get into, you know, I want to talk about the technical a little bit more, but I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about the market of thinking, you know, what are the volumes we're talking about that you're producing? How long does it take to produce it? And, you know, could this really move the needle, um, in, in the U S and, and what's the next process? Once you, once you have this stuff, where do you take it? You know, who's the, who's the next person that, the, you know, the next company that buys this and, and does, uh, the processing side, you know, and where does it go, et cetera, does it need to leave the U S I'm curious as a, you're, you know, I'm sure you know these parts of the business, but I, I would, I would love to understand it better. And I would love listeners to, to understand it as well. So, uh, good question. So, um, volume. So, 
that's that's key because again, when I mentioned lithium, never has a very high concentration as far as parts per million. So the answer to that is to have a big volume of it, right? right. So you have to, and, and to, the best thing is to have both. And so um, in Utah, our, our prospect that we found um, just by mining data and, and looking at old dry holes and looking at water analyses that are out there in their public data, most of this stuff, we found a prospect that we could twin an old dry hole that, that encountered this brine with, and it was artesian. I mean, there was like more of it coming at them than they really wanted to deal with. Plus they didn't have the mining permit. So the, the BLM said, you need to plug this well immediately before it technically blows out. So um, they, we got the, this is an the, old oil the and mineral gas well. analysis to that water. This is an old oil and gas well grilled in 97. Right. And it's very close to the north side of the, the Paradox Basin. So we said, let's go ahead and twin that well under a mining permit recover the brine, get the full analysis. And then from there, we can build a business model. And we have all these things in, in, in places we can sell this brine either as just the brine itself or to use it in a reactor with CO2. Now, to use it in a reactor with CO2 takes additional investment and it takes additional time. But once you do this, it's scalable and it's applicable pretty much anywhere in the United States and Canada, you know, patents are foreign patents and trademarks, but they're doing it in Canada right now. I mean, they're doing it just above the North Dakota border. Um, Prairie Lithium's doing something similar. Um, they're doing things with CO2, making calcium carbonate down in Australia. They're doing some stuff in the San Antonio area, similar to this. So um, people are doing it, but really the, the key is volume. And that's where the oil and gas background comes in. As I say, I've, I've worked around oil and gas for 40 years. I know that water's always there. It's just thinking out of the barrel and getting, um, you know, young engineers or middle managers to say, look, you know, this has always been looked at as a waste product that we have to pay 10 bucks a barrel to re-inject and get hauled off or disposed of or reworked or cleaned up. What if we can actually make 10 bucks a barrel with this stuff? So that's really the, kind of the, 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 the step change in thinking with oil and gas is you can put on the miner's hat once in a while right. and actually, you know, make limestone. And the whole, the whole idea, though, from this and it would be, OK, I have, you know, I, I'm producing a barrel of oil. I'm getting a, a barrel of water for the, you know, we're one to one equivalent. I have a barrel of water for every barrel of oil I'm producing and I have to do something with that. And I've got these RICRA laws, I've got regulations and all this stuff. So, but if I, and I have to pay to dispose that. And usually it's, I'm, I'm paying, you know, a company to dispose this. I'm doing it myself, regardless, it's, it's trucking fees. Um, it's a disposal wallet. It, the costs add up, especially when, when things get tight and, and demand's high. So all those costs add up and, and worse probably without inability to find truck drivers and obviously high fuel costs, all that exacerbates it. So you're still going to have something left over, right? I mean, even if, even, even if I'm coming to you and saying, okay, Hey, I've got all this water now, what can you do? The, the hope is that there's enough money to be made, um, that it's, it's going to not only pay for the, whatever the rest of the water for disposal, um, but I'm actually going to make some money on it. So this is no longer going to be a, a cost me that hopefully there's enough in there, but I'm assuming that, so there's a volume thing with that too. And there has to be enough of these uh, there has to be enough of your um, of your magnesium, enough of your lithium, enough of this um, uh, of your calcium in here to actually the volume has to matter to actually get the numbers that you want, correct? To make the math actually work. Right, and it's it's also all molal chemistry, so it's physical chemistry. Uh, most engineers and obviously chemical engineers take it in, in, in college. 
one of those classes that no one wants, everybody just wants to get through with a C. Well, it, it, but it's really pretty cool stuff. It's very simple chemistry in this case. Um, it, it's been done forever. And in, in, in manufacturing limestone this way actually reduces typical mined limestone and hauled limestone. Those have a huge carbon footprint. But people accept it because really there's no other way to make cement and, and different things and different grinds of calcium carbonate. You have to mine it, crush it, transport it, grind it, process right. it. We take all that. We've already got this in solution in the brine. And so it, it's a unique way of looking at mineral processing. And, and at the end of the day, we can actually target specific crystal size and get into the high-end calcium carbonate market, which is for feed supplements, you know, human uh, drugs and supplements. Um, there's just, it's 500 bucks a ton versus if you use it for aggregate, you're looking at 10 bucks a ton. So really what we hope to do and to commercialize this whole process and make it worth worthy of, of actually doing and not just for the carbon capture stuff, which is, which is huge and, and, and it's so scalable, it's actually gonna move the needle. Instead of just putting the CO2 back in the ground and trying to store it, which that's the big thing in the Gulf Coast and around Houston. Right. And, you know, they have the reservoirs to do that. But CO2 being piped all through the oil and gas world in North Dakota, down to the panhandle of Texas, through Colorado. If you can touch CO2 pipeline, it's pure CO2 with an oil and gas uh, high water cut field with a good calcium concentration. And most of these brines have that and we know what they are. We just do the math and figure out, okay, we're going to make 500 tons of this high end uh, calcium carbonate today. Now we got to figure out where we're going to sell it. Right. So it's the, and even if you don't right. sell it, it's, it's simply, you know, you get the tax credits. You don't even have to sell it to get the tax credit because you're sequestering the CO2 into something forever just like when they put it down in the ground and in the right. ground and store it and monitor it forever, you still get the tax credit. So you don't want to pollute the market. You don't want to destroy a market, but it is a green alternative to mine with a huge carbon footprint. So it, you know, it's revolutionary really, it, it, but it's thinking outside of the barrel. It's trying to kind of, kind of marry oil and gas and, and mining. And we're all, we're all, these are all minerals, you know, right. we all go to the same colleges. We all understand the same thing, but we get so focused over our careers and we need to think out of the barrel a little more, you know, and, and bring these things to these larger companies that, that have these ESG goals and have these net zero goals. And this is a solution for them. It really is. And it's right on their back door. So, I mean, if you've listened to the podcast and you've heard me on things, I, 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 we can spend some time ripping apart um, how I feel about ESG. Um, but that being said, we'll, we'll table that just for a moment. Um, that being said, so you're I, the thinking outside the barrel and conceptually, it's very cool. I mean, it, it's nerdy and cool and, and hence, you know, Petro's podcast. So, you know, from a nerdy perspective, I totally get it. Um, and I think ha, when you're measuring, I mean, I do think some of the stuff is predicated on regulations, right? So it, uh, and it seems like uh, some of the stuff is predicated on, I mean, every carbon, C every carbon business right now and green business right now has been predicated on Biden coming to office and signing the Paris Climate Accords and, and putting executive orders in place. So there's politically some of the stuff I, I feel like at least I wouldn't say carbon sequestration is going away, but in terms of the, you know, 
the pushing on the net zero goals and stuff, um, if, especially for oil and gas operators, that that's a bit tricky. And I do think that that could be transitory from an investor pressure standpoint, or at least change and adapt and, and alter itself. But in terms of, you know, it seems to me like, yes, you can advertise lithium and, you know, other other metals and minerals that are that are sexy, but really it's about calcium carbonate and it's really the ability to sort of work and I would say, I, I'm not sure the word easier to sequester is, but that it's technically doable. Um, and that how are you measuring? Do you have accurate ways of, of measuring the amount of carbon that's being sequestered and how much is it? So if I'm, if I'm, you know, producing a barrel of like, what's the equivalent if I have a, a barrel of water being produced and, and how much am I sequestering and how much calcium carbonate am I getting? And then am I selling that calcium carbonate to someone for cement? Okay, so let me just give you an example of a project in Utah. If I have 3,000 barrels a day of this brine, okay, and this brine is 135,000 part per million calcium as a chloride. So it's a very, it's basically a saturated brine that you would, you could, could use for ice control and dust control. So it's that, that type of, of, it's a rare product to be an artesian well flowing this. So I can sequester with 3,200 barrels a day of that brine in a reactor using our process. I can sequester 2 million cubic feet of CO2 a day. Okay. And that's, that's significant. That's, that's a large volume of CO2. And essentially over a year's time, that's 30,000 metric tons of CO2. So the, the annual threshold for carbon sequestration tax credits on section 45Q is currently 25,000 metric tons. Okay. So that's kind of a base case. So then I can, I'm going to end up with, you know, 80,000 pounds a day of this high end calcium carbonate. So that's if the reaction is a 95%, you know, complete reaction. Right. So any CO2 that doesn't get reacted, they just recycle back through. Okay. And in, in this, this process has been done um, in labs many, many times. Um, there's a book that I, I have, have purchased that talks about a lot of this stuff. It's called CO2 sequestration by ex situ mineral carbonation. And, and people have studied this forever. We're actually working with a, a, a a Stevens Institute back in New Jersey on a, a DOE project that's going to take that lab um, scale um, carbon sequestration, mineral carbonation, making calcium on a bench, or take to the field. And so we're looking for a strategic partner that has a, a brine that's an oil field brine in, in North Dakota. Let's say it's a thousand barrels a day. We're going to do a pilot test there. And that's where you basically prove up do your demonstration scale. Right. From there, the next stage, uh, stage is commerciality. So we're moving down that road. It's, it's a long process. I mean, it's, that's going to be a three-year project that'll start uh, first to next year. Um, but it's two and a half million dollar project. Um, we're going to build a, a, a little pilot unit. And let's say it looks like a, you know, it's 10 by five foot, you know, it looks like a treater, an oil field separator. But we can do that on site, it's mobile. Uh, we can we can take it to where the CO2 is, where the brine is, and like I say, once you do that, you then you can look at the crystal structure and actually take and look at the value, um, and actually make a, a a business case for scaling this up and make it commercial. So whether or not 
all this stuff is transitory or not, if you can commercialize the process, who doesn't want to make money, right? Right. Who doesn't want another revenue so, stream? So that's really our goal. Right. So you're saying, I mean, hey, you know, have a, have a, I have this tax credit now on CO2. So in theory, I can get that up to a threshold. Um, but even if I can't get that, I'm still getting this calcium carbonate. I'm still doing the CO2 thing. You know, we're, we're meeting goals that the companies are saying they're hit. But you will still have, you will still have, um, and this is, we're going to shift gears here and get into the market before we, we, we close on a discussion. But you still have water that you have to dispose of. So does any of this make it easier or better for on, on the regulatory side of that disposal? Because as we mentioned before, part of the even just using recycled water or, you know, produced water that's, that's recycled for fracking, you know, that took um, regulatory shifts within Texas to, to change, to ability to move this stuff around to do basic, you know, simple filtration, pro- I would say simple, I'm oversimplifying it, but to do filtration processes. So does this help with any of that? And I mean, and do you still have a ton of water left over? Because I would say that that's something that, you know, I mean, from a business standpoint, when you're working with operators and service companies, it's sort of like this is the stuff that moves the needle quickly. So does it help with that? Does it reduce the volumes? Or are we still left right. with, with a ton of water? I think, you know, you know logically, it's going to, if you're taking something out of the brine, you're going to have less volume, but it's not, right. it, you know, it's not going to say, okay, we're not going to, we're still going to re-inject it or we're still going to haul it off the same way we already have, because let's just say you're reducing your volume by 5%. So, I mean, that, that changes day to day with just normal operations. So um, that's not a big concern. Um, the only issue would be if, if like this Utah project. So um, it's a grassroots well, right? And so there is no disposal system there now. So what we have left, we'll call it the soup. It's going to have, you know, it's going to be rich in chlorides. It's going to be, you know, it, it, it's probably going to have to be hauled to a disposal site. And there's several of them nearby, actually. Or we'll drill a disposal well and perm- permitted class two injection, uh, you know, so UIC program. So um, we're not concerned about that. Um, that's typical mines like potash mining. They have that issue. They're they're big in Utah in that same area. So um yeah, I mean, we're really not changing anything different other than trying to extract another, you know, another cut, say, out of the the what the, the fluid that's being produced out of the right. ground or and or being handled anyway. Right. And so you, your pilot project that you want you want your pilot project to be in in Utah, um, but your ideal situation is you know is doing is using produced water from say the Bakken in North Dakota, um, which you'd basically have a little, I'm assuming little facility or mobile facility that you're able to do that with, or is this going to be a, would this need to be a permanent facility? We'd love, you know, no, so we can do the, the, the pilot can be done anywhere and we'd love to do it in North Dakota because that, that brings in, you know, one of the operators up there, it, it basically says, okay, if operator A can do it, and there have and, and then that means that operating BC and on down the line can do it, right? Because water's water. It's just so we've been talking to some of the major operators up there, and we're keen to get in with one of them, you know, and and show them what we have. Um, we have this this uh, DOE project that's going to require access to, and I think once we get that announced, it's going to be fairly simple to get uh, one of these operators to jump in. Okay, so. Uh, so we're going to, this is a perfect segue on the switching gears on the market side. Um, Cause you, you want to, you're trying to get an operator interested in this. You're saying, Hey, 
we were sequestering the carbon. So we got these these credits there if you're not already doing that. So that's beneficial there from just a tax credit standpoint. Also, you know, if, if they have lofty, you know, ESG goals and, and, you know, trying to hit net zero targets, which I think are ridiculous, but regardless, they're trying to do that. So this helps them in that way to actually hit um, from a carbon sequester side, this is beneficial. But the end, the byproducts that we're getting, you know, this carbon or uh, this calcium carbonate and, and hopefully and potentially other byproducts as you're sort of advertising is that where, how much, where are they going? How much do I get for them? How much am I getting, you know, for that calcium carbonate? What's the market like um, for that? And, you know, is North Dakota, are we going to have a ton of calcium carbonate and then it's got to get to places where we're obviously, you know, needing that cement and building stuff. So what's the, um, you know, on the market side of that, those byproducts that we're getting, and I'm assuming, you know, we're getting much less lithium and things like that, but still those would, you know, you would try to do something with that and get them to market. Um, But it's, it's really, you know, that, that seems to be the biggest piece. How much are we getting and, and where does it need to go? Well, we can get a lot of it. I mean, it's, the thing is, logistics are always key, obviously. There. Um, you want to be located on rail. You want to be near interstate highways. But it, anything that's mined has to be moved, right? right. And so typical low-grade low calcium carbonate used for aggregate in cement. So a concrete slurry is 80% aggregate and 20% cement. Okay. A lot of people don't realize that. So you and, and everything's built with concrete, right? right? So there's a huge market. There's always roads being built. And so... You know, there's your market for the low grade stuff. I mean, just even if you're getting 10 bucks, you know, a ton, you're still getting 10 bucks a ton, right? Right. You're not having to pay for someone to take it away. So there's that. Now, if you can get, if we do this test and, and go after the high grade crystal, and that's really what we're doing with these, these Stevens Institute and some of these folks, uh, the, the labs, the national labs is going after something that's a green alternative to mining a mountain. Let's just say, I mean, there's companies in Switzerland, Amia is one of them. You've got Emirates, uh, these foreign countries that they, they've been mining uh, marble at the, in the Alps for since the 1500s. I mean, you have to have it. And so we have an alternative to actually open pit mines in that, mm-hmm. that huge carbon footprint. And we can come up with the same quality that high-grade $500 a ton calcium carbonate. That's really the that's the that's really what we're after. Is is because we don't want to you don't want to sell it other than for the fact you know that if you sequester the CO2 and that's your game and that's what you're all about, you can sell it for 10 bucks a ton and, and be be happy. You're getting your tax credits. Right. You're getting 10 right. bucks a ton. There's a lot of it, but in in the end of the day, you really want to go after the the high-end product. Because then if you have to end up hauling it from, say, uh, eastern Utah all the way to Arizona, you know, you can you can pay for that trucking versus, you know, maybe they're getting their calcium carbonate in Arizona. So it's all in supply chain and the cost of fuel. It all comes yep. in. But, you know, mines are no one's going to mine next to a factory. We know that. So right. they do have to load it and they have to haul it. So, so I would say that, you know, and I, I'm glad you clarified that because I would say even, and that's probably something that needs to be emphasized a little bit more is, is, you know, you're talking about aggregate, which is 80% of your saying of that cement slurry. Um, and that's what you're producing is that calcium carbonate that goes to that. And you're doing that through a process one that can actually sequester the carbon and two, you're getting this, this byproduct out. And so there's benefits to that. Um, you know, how much exactly you're getting and how that dense the market is, is 
you know, obviously a scale question of, of how much, you know, you'd be, you'd be doing through this, but yes, that, that is an outside to you, to quote you. I mean, that's an outside the barrel way of thinking in terms of, I can get this right product. I think some difficulties in, in the market thinking about that is that from an economic standpoint, one, um, when your economy is rip roaring, it's great. You definitely need cement. Um, and you, you're right. Even if it's not rip roaring, you're using it for everything. So, it's, and it's an important thing to have, um, economies using and the CO2 side in when people talk about CO2 emissions, cement is a big, big factor. I mean, it's a huge, um, I mean, it's a huge emitter of, of CO2. So that's a, that's sort of the, I think, uh, yes. you know, cement and CO2 are something that people have to understand. And then two, I think having, you know, because the oil and gas industry is so separate from that. I mean, yes, I'm sure there are people in real estate and people that touch it and everything, but I mean, oil and gas folks are focused on drilling and producing oil and gas and focused on the commodity world and, and what's going on. So this is a sort of a separate way of thinking about um, th- this byproduct and, and CO2. And, and even I would say most people in the industry, yes, everyone's talking ESG, everyone's talking about CO2, but deeply understanding it and understanding what they do. So I would say those are some things to, you know, marrying it together and understanding, which I think are very interesting, but that, that gets us to a nice, you know, shifting gears a little bit in terms of, and this is slightly different than I thought it would be talking about lithium and everything, but I think it's great, much better that we clarified aggregate cement, uh, CO2 and, you know, as opposed to actually mining it. So I think that's great clarification. I mean, in terms of the market, I mean, you're starting this business, you're a small business owner like myself. Um, so the market, we, I mean, the reason where the Dow is down today, the reason the market is off, the reason oil prices are, are, are you know, well below 100 bucks a barrel right now, not well below, but just under 100 bucks a barrel right now, um, is because of real fears of recession that not not fears of them that were basically there that, I mean, Dollar Tree and, and you know, Dollar store companies are the, you know, performing, outperforming today because that's what performs well in a recession. And the concerns about spending are serious. I mean, the, and we're sort of hitting a double, I would say this is, it's a, it's a multifold triple-edged whammy that um, in, in the presentation I gave at the Doug conference last week, um, I sort of spoke to all these points, but we have high, very high natural gas prices, which I think are already, you know, shoving Europe into recession. We have a war, we have, you know, food and energy crisis, um, at, you know, we have rampant inflation across the globe on, on everything. Um, and so it's not just oil prices, but I keep hearing people on CNBC today saying, well, if oil prices go down, you know, that's a 50 cent savings on gasoline and that could curb this. And I thought, look, oil prices going down is a product of, if that's a product of people, you know, doing less, which will eventually hit jet fuel and people will fly less and it will eventually hit diesel and people will be doing stuff less. It kind of does have an imp- impact to your business. And I'm not saying it's saying it's bad, but it's, it's tricky in the timing of bringing up businesses and stuff of being timing and, and getting it going. But just curious as your thoughts on as, as a business owner and what you're doing and getting it's all applicable and, and you have a lot of passion for this, um, you know, the thoughts on the market and recession and your business and how that all fits together and, you know, what's your perspective on that? Well, I think, you know, being in uh, oil and gas for 40 years, I've seen, you know, since got in 81, I saw the, the dust of, of 86 in Denver. Um, you know, it, it was just, it's cyclical. And, and But people need a couple things. You know, if it's not mined, it's got to be grown, right? We got to eat. And everything else comes from mining, whether it in, in mining is oil and gas production, it's mineral extraction. So those cement, I mean, cement's been around since early Roman days and early days in, in, in England. Those processes are just, I mean, they're the basics of life. And um, building, especially good out of Mexico, yep. you know, yeah, I mean, everything you're building in Mexico, all those resorts in Cabo, 
I mean, they're nonstop. And you see the cement plants and it's, 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 it's there. I mean, and we're never going to stop doing that. We got to live somewhere. So I, I really think we're in a neat spot. Um, we touch all this, you know, whether you believe in it or not, you know, the, the CO2 thing, you know, we're there. If someone wants that, and we have that, mm-hmm. you know, we have a way to make these green products and actually do something that people want to do as far as CO2 sequestration. And it's, it's just what nature does on its own. We're just accelerating it. It's basically, you know, mammoth hot springs in Yellowstone, those terraces, those travertine terraces are essentially, they take, you know, hundreds of thousands of years to build up. We're doing that in, in minutes, you know, because their CO2 level is the, the atmosphere's CO2 level, 0.05%. We're using 99% CO2. So just that's the whole yep. gig. And that's how we speed it up. And it, it's when you think about it, I mean, it's it's, it's so basic and it makes so much sense, you know, and, and, and people say, well, how can you do that? Well, how does nature do it? You know, right. we're just we're just doing one of nature's project uh, processes. And, you know, it can contain we can capture a lot of CO2. I mean, we're not just going to stuff it in the ground. And have to monitor. I think that's really where, you know, I know people, oil and gas folks think it's cool because, yeah, we get to find a reservoir and we already know where those are. We get to drill wells. You know, that's all fun and great, but you're going to own that CO2 for a long, long time. And I'd rather see it in a road, in a new road project and put a big sign up on the interstate and say, this road from here to to Cheyenne sequestered this many metric tons of CO2 in this road. I mean, and we're driving on it. Yeah. We're not, you know, worried about it coming out of the boogeyman coming out of the ground and, and killing us. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. And we're using so, it. I mean, I, I, I think that's a great example. And I, I also think that, um, you know, the, which is why I have, the differentiated view I have on ESG, I think this sort of, you know, understanding what or the, the real ESG of understanding, you know, taking out just being just the E and realizing that this is a holistic perspective and doing business right is different from, you know, investing in, in stuff and, and having a business case is different than just, you know, fanfare and hand waving on I have a net zero plan and I'm just doing it so you know, I, I get into some portfolio or whatever, and it's not actually doing anything. And it's, it's, you know, to, to the points I said and to what Chris Wright also said in at, at Doug last week was that, you know, too many people in this industry have leaned into that narrative and are not helping the oil and gas industry, but your business and this example of it is a great way to say is to be thinking outside the box from, you know, a, a differentiated, as I would call it, a differentiated view on ESG. So if you can build a product and average, if you can build a product with um, with using, instead of sequestering your CO2, but you can actually create something with it and build something with it and then say, hey, as part of the oil and gas industry, we've not only done this, but we've made something with it in additional. That's a win-win. That's, that's you know, double fold. That's more than I just got rid of my carbon because you told me to and you're paying me to do it. It's I did that and I built something with it in a product that we actually need. So I'm actually doing things. And I think that's where, you know, truthfully, if that's where the objective, that's where the business has to go is to have these these multifold solutions and usually that's what that's why I brought up the 2014 thing is that it takes um economic downturns and pivots to create this i mean i believe in um 2008 when we had our our major recession i remember hearing you know and i studied that and was part of it and you know felt it but a lot of people weren't actually recycling a good amount of of metal and stuff that i mean if you're making um 
I think it was stereos I'd heard about of speakers, you know, listening of, of speakers and all the stuff that goes into them. There was so much byproduct and so much shavings and so much cuttings that people weren't weren't saving. And then obviously, you know, prices go through the roof or people don't have enough money of two things. You know, if, if, if you have a surge in prices, one that helps from a recycling standpoint or saving or, or reusing or using the scraps or whatever. But two, it's also from a, um, hey, the economy is down. So we need to save and, you know, on a cost as much as we can. And so it's usually things that force them, you know, you have economic forces that usually drive push for change. Um, sometimes you can have the regulatory side that helps, but typically, you know, the market has to want to do it in, in some way, the market has to want to do it. And this seems like one of those opportunities that, hey, you know, if, if especially if the prices are right and you get it to a scaled position that from a from both a CO2 standpoint, but also making something standpoint, you know, and hitting these goals that, you know, you might have a win-win here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, <clears throat> I, I challenge people to question what we're trying to do. I mean, I think we touch, like I say, we touch all the all the hot buttons with whatever side you lean. Um, we all have our our, our 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 backgrounds to reconcile, but I really believe, and truthfully, that we're not doing. I'm, I'm doing that. I don't need to do this. I'm doing this because I want to set an example to show that here's a guy that's been in oil and gas for 40 years, retired saw the fracking at revolution, the mm -hmm. horizontal thing, bought and sold properties. Instead of just retiring, riding off on my motorcycle, I'm willing to step in and try to share some knowledge and bring a team together that shares that same passion. And I love going to the colleges and talking mm -hmm. to the kids because they, they dig it. They get yep. right into it because they've not been, they've not been in these blinders for, for 10, 20 years. I mean, they're, they're fresh and they did, you know, mind the brine. It's like yep. they just, they just eat it up. So I'm going to continue to do that, and I appreciate again with with your you know podcast here. I think it's it's just you know just kind of a steamroll for us. So yeah, well, no, I'm really excited about it. And there's a lot of things we haven't talked about yet. The whole geothermal piece, but uh, that's for another day. I think. Yeah, well, I I think so. I, I think it's a nerdy topic. It's been awesome to have you on the podcast, and I completely agree. I mean, when you're talking to students, and and I think that's why I say you getting you sort of out of your own comfort zone in terms of mining is not something I think you know the. The oil and gas industry typically doesn't think of them the, themselves as miners, but they are. I mean, that's what you're doing with it's just, um, you know, it's natural gas or crude oil. So it's a bit different. I mean, in the oil sands, obviously, um, in Canada, we, that's actually mining, you know, 20 percent of that on the surface. That's actually mining and then upgrading it. So it's all very interrelated. And regardless of whether it's, you know, it's, it's lithium or whatever it is. But really, I think more clarity and, and I, it's clarified for me more about the cement side, the aggregate and the actual calcium carbonate and what you're actually trying to do in, in a multifold solution. And I think, you know, like anything business is it's a little bit trickier. I mean, we love, uh, you know, the idea of refracking, like it's a perfect example. It's great. Um, we'll bet we have refracts, we'll continue, you know, but it hasn't gone, you know, scalable because there's different market forces and, and conventional thinking and, and how folks think about stuff. But it usually there's, you know, it's people in the industry, it's tipping points. It's, there's a lot of nuances to this business. Um, and you know, you're, you're obviously deep in, in those nuances and working through it. So, um, it's cool business. Um, wish you the best of luck and absolutely we will, we'll have you back and we'll have to talk about, uh, you know, other multi aspects of this. I haven't gotten into geothermal on the podcast and I would love to. So, um, we will, we will table that one for another day. Wonderful. Great talking to you today.